0: Series of messages that we're calling Upside Down Living as we walk through the Beatitudes with our Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm going to bring it home today with the final message. But I've heard from so many of you telling me how you've been stretched and challenged and convicted and encouraged. There's nothing quite like coming right up to the words of Jesus Christ and getting some clarity on what is Christianity actually all about. Anything that's been around for a while can have some confusion and trappings that get attached to it, but I feel like this has just been so good to come back and say, what did he intend? What did he say? What is his calling? Who are we supposed to be? And so, I know some of you, this has encouraged me, have sent me emails or talked to me and said, Brad, for the very first time ever in my life, I have settled down and I have a, an, assur- an assurance that I am a Christian. Because we're not talking about formulas. Did you pray it like this? Did you walk the aisle? Did you shake a hand? Did you get all that's been pushed aside? And I've had people say, thank you for the first time ever. I have assurance. But I've been praying that there's others of you I love you, but I've been praying that it would cause you to rethink whether you're even in the kingdom or not. Because it's not about, I did this, I did that. I. But do you look like this? To any degree or measure, do you have these characteristics in your life? He said, this is what kingdom people look like. It's not what we're trying to be to get saved. It's who we are because we're saved. Not perfectly, But to some degree, these things are in your life. And you're going to see that this final beatitude is no less radical than the first seven. In fact, it's so radical and so critical that Jesus actually takes some time to unpack it more than any of the other beatitudes and drive it home to us by shifting from the third person. If you notice, it's blessed are the merciful, blessed are the... He shifts from the third person and he goes into the second person and begins to say, blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. And they say all kinds of things falsely against you. So let's read it again. Stand with me and turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Matthew 5 verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And look right at his disciples sitting in front of him. Verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what should we get a hold of in this final beatitude? Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, do not be surprised when they treat you like Jesus. The word Christian literally means little Christ. Did they treat Jesus well? Were his followers? Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Key word worth noting. Not if. Blessed are you. Say it. Say it again. It's a lot like James chapter 1 where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers." Brothers and sisters, when you fall into various trials. Not if. It's not a question of if. It's just when is it going to happen. When, when, when you fall into these things. So Jesus just says, I don't want you to be surprised when it happens. In fact, Jesus uses the word persecution three times in two verses in verse 10 and 11. And this word persecution in the Greek means to be systematically... It's very intentional to be systematically harassed, attacked, opposed, or ill-treated. Is that not what you see going on more and more in our culture today? And if it isn't happening to you, It may be that you just have not leaned into the darkness or engaged the darkness enough. But trust me, we've got dear people in our church family. If you choose to run for city council, if you choose to get involved in the political arena, if you choose to get involved with your neighborhood leadership of any type, if you choose to engage the culture, it's going to happen. They will not thank you for showing up with your Christian values. They will not thank you for being A Christian. Now, there is a way to avoid everything we're going to talk about today. But I hope you don't say, oh, good, tell me that. (laughs) If you'll keep your Christianity at home in your Bible reading chair all to yourself, and you'll keep it right here when we worship corporately, they'll leave you alone. But we're not supposed to do that. We're going to get to that later in the hour. We're salt and light, we're supposed to be out there. But if you engage, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The world is filled with people who hate goodness, hate Jesus, and hate the light. So they will not thank you for being a Christian. Here's what will happen. They will tolerate you at best, and they will attack you and be hostile at worst. That's what you can expect if you engage, if you choose to engage and get up close to them. Why? Because when you live with these upside-down kingdom values, the light of Jesus is shining through you. And it exposes them and makes them very uncomfortable. Because what you need to understand is people by nature, here's what they're having to do. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 1 and 2, you don't have to be a Christian to have a conscience. You don't have to be a Christian to know right and wrong. Romans 2 says God's law is written on their hearts. So that it's either accusing them or excusing them. So they're working hard to resist their own conscience. To do the things that they're doing. And along comes you. And you're bringing some righteousness and light. And it's actually heightening what's already going on in their conscience. So they will not be grateful for what your presence in their lives is doing for them. Because the other thing is truth begins to resonate. And I hope you don't think, oh, everybody wants truth. Everybody's a seeker of truth. News alert. They're not. Romans 1 also says, what do they do with the truth about who we are as human beings and gender and purpose and meaning? They suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. And here you come with light And truth, and here you come according to 2 Corinthians 2, with the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. They're not gonna thank you. See, when you personally cherish and practice sexual purity, and I hope our church family does. In a in a dark, morally decadent day, I want you to practice and cherish sexual purity. If that's you and you do that, oh, listen, they're not going to say, that's fine. That's your choice. Oh, no. They will see it as a personal attack on their sexual freedom and autonomy that says, my body is mine to do what I want with it. Nobody's going to tell me who and who I can't have sex with. It'll be a threat to them. Your sexual purity makes them uneasy and will be a threat to them. When you exercise self-control, whether it's with alcohol, food, entertainment, you name it. When you exercise self-control, they see it as an indictment against their own abuse of alcohol and food and any other pleasure. When you say no to materialism and you choose to live simply and gratefully... Your life exposes the foolishness of how they're living, piling up more and more of all this temporal stuff. If you walk humbly and meekly with your God and other people, you set in contrast the stark ugliness of their pride and self-promotion. They won't thank you. They won't like it. When you're honest and you refuse to lie or deceive or shade things in any way with your business dealings in the marketplace, oh, you're going to make a lot of people very uncomfortable, my friends, very uncomfortable, who blur the truth and arrange the facts any way they want to get ahead. They don't want you around being so truthful and honest and turning in reports that are accurate, they will not tolerate it. They will malign you. They will attack you. They will say things falsely against you. If you decide, which I hope you decided, when we did our redeeming work series, it doesn't matter from the factory floor to a carpenter to a pharmaceutical sales rep to a chemist to a teacher to a stay-at-home mom. When you decide, I'm going to do my job to the glory of God with my whole heart and soul, oh my goodness, I hope you realize you will infuriate a lot of people at that same job place who are going there every day with a mentality of, I'm just gonna work the system, get a paycheck, stick it to the man, and go home. You make them look bad. They're gonna say, dude, or do that, slow down. I don't want this company knowing you could pr- produce a thousand widgets in a day when I'm only doing 300. Just slow down. You're making us all look bad. They won't thank you. If you live with an eternal mindset, you're going to expose the small-mindedness of so many people around you that live for the moment. And if you live loose to the things of this world, with Jesus at the center of your life, it will be an incredible threat to so many others who are chasing so hard after and building their lives around all the stuff of this world. And you say, but Brad, why? It's just my life. I'm not even attacking them. I'm not even using lots of words to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Why? Let me help you. Let me help you understand why this is the way it is. Because they don't know what to do with you. They can't make sense of you and when people don't understand something and can't make sense of it they're afraid and i hope you know fear doesn't always call people cause people to pull back fear often is what drives violence and attacking and harsh behavior i can't understand you you make me uneasy you rock the system you've got to go they're afraid of us folks As much as you're afraid of them, you know, some Christians are like, oh, it's so bad. Let me help you. They're afraid of us. I know we feel so weak. like, what's to be afraid of? You're so weird. That they're afraid of this. Why don't you think like we think? Why don't you do like we do? That you fall outside of the normal categories of how this world system works. And so, since they can't, Be in control. That's the main thing they want, to be in control. Since they can't be in control of what they don't understand, they attack you. They lash out at you. And they say all kinds of things falsely against you. So here's what you need to understand from the scriptures. Genuine righteousness. Not talking about perfection. But, you know, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're wanting to be like Jesus and live like Jesus and live for him. That's righteousness. Genuine righteousness condemns other people by implication. And so they lash out at you in retaliation. But keep this in mind. When you get it, when you get the heat, when you get the barbs, oh, don't ever forget this. Keep this in mind as they attack you. The hostility towards you is actually rooted in a greater hostility towards God you say, really? Uh Uh-huh. That's what the Bible teaches. I hope you realize people by nature from birth are hostile towards God. They are not neutral. They are hostile towards God. They hate God. So when you begin to grow in his likeness and sound like him and live for him and look like him, they're going to hate you too. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Listen to what he says, Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh. Now, don't think of some special category of really wicked people somewhere out there whose minds are set on the flesh. He's describing every human being from birth. We're born with our minds set on the flesh. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Oh, but he gives us even more insights than that. For it does not submit to God's law. Oh, and the final phrase just nails it for us. Indeed, it cannot. They can't. I hope you realize if you're here and you have a desire to please God, you have a desire to say no to your flesh, you have a desire to follow Jesus, you have a desire to serve others, you have a desire to try to be meek and merciful and pure and a peacemaker, God gave you that desire. You have a new nature. That's why it's called born again. You didn't show up that way. God had to do that. That's a dramatic, radical work of the Spirit. So just don't forget these people around you are locked into hostility. Not against you, first of all, but against their creator, God. But as you grow in his likeness and you follow his word, they're gonna hate you also. Listen to me. When the, here, there's a way to avoid it. When the people of God are cold, confused, compromising... Reflecting little of the character and nature of Jesus, they'll leave you alone. They'll leave you alone. But when you get serious about meekness and mercy and peacemaking and purity, mm, you're gonna get under their skin and they will start to attack you, so don't be surprised by it. I think you're gonna like my second point better. Number two Here, here's what's so interesting. Jesus really presses something now that's that's very radical. Number 2, he says, "Don't just hunker down and try to endure it, but rejoice in what's coming." Look at verse 12. Rejoice. And as if that's not enough, he's like, "No, no, and be exceedingly glad." Both those verbs are in the imperative in the Greek. They're commands. The command, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just hunker down, bite the bullet and endure it and wait for heaven. And we'll rejoice then and we'll dance then and we'll leap then. He's like, no, 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 no. One of the things that should make us radical and cause heads to turn is the fact that while you're being reviled, while you're being hated, while you're being excluded, while people are saying things against you falsely, you have this unbelievable joy they don't know what to do with that either. You have this joy that characterizes you exceedingly glad. That word in the Greek, be exceedingly glad, means extreme happiness or jubilant exaltation. Often when I wanna get my arms around, all right, what should I think about what he's saying here? Look for where that same word is used other places in the Bible. Guess where else it's used? When Mary received word from the angel that she would actually be the earthly mother of our Savior that all the Jews had been waiting for and looking for and longing for and praying for, when she realized, I'm the one and he's my Savior, she used the same word in Luke chapter 1, verse 47, and said, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The same jubilation that Mary had over her Savior is the jubilation we're supposed to have even while we're being reviled and hated and persecuted. The other thing you can do when you're trying to get a hold of what, what really is being asked here, what should I get from this, is is there another place in the scriptures where this same account is recorded? Especially with the Gospels, I hope you realize, sometimes the same sermon or the same scenario is being recorded by another writer. So we've been tracking through Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. Luke also has the Beatitudes. And here's what he does with this same place. In Luke chapter 6, when he talks about this Beatitude, in Luke 6, 22 and 23, he says, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you, and when they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. That's the way he chose to describe that same verb. Leap for joy. Leap for joy. Now be careful when he says in that day. He's not talking about the day you receive your reward. Yeah, I'll leap for joy on that day. He's talking about that day that you're reviled, that day that you're hated, that day that you're excluded, that day that people are saying things falsely against you, leap for joy in that day. You say, Brad, why? Well, here's part of it. People struggle with assurance of salvation, right? Some of it, as you you get this kind of heat, it simply confirms that you're a kingdom person. Now, don't make a mistake here. You can get persecuted for being a jerk. That's your own special gift. There's no blessing for that. So being obnoxious, being a jerk, no. But if you're just really not trying to, you're not trying to be a hater. You're not trying to be a jerk. You're not trying to be obnoxious. In fact, you're being meek. You're serving other people. You're, but they hate you. They're lying about you. That's encouraging it confirms because the reason you can leap for joy now and not just one day someday is the kingdom of God in place now yes Yes, it is Jesus said when he came the kingdom of heaven has begun is it fully consummated no but it's here is Jesus king now oh yes they don't see it fully displayed but he's our king now are there people in the kingdom now raise your hand if you think you're one of them Jesus is king, his kingdom's in place, and I'm his kingdom person that he snatched out of darkness and drew into light, filled me with his spirit, I got a reason to leap now. Reward is coming one day, leaping should start now. Leaping starts now, leaping starts now. Because if you're here and you're a kingdom person in the kingdom, then you can say, I already right now have eternal life. It's not like one day I'm getting eternal life. I am never going to die. This earth suit will be laid aside. But Brad Bigney began eternal life the day he put his trust in Jesus at seven years old. I am living eternal life now. Right now, I have eternal life. If you're a kingdom person, that can be never taken from you by any level of persecution or any level of earthly authority. No one can take that from you. Right now, I'm covered in a robe of righteousness Right now, you're covered in a robe of righteousness if you're a kingdom person that no one can take from you. They can take your good name. They can take your reputation, but no one can take your robe of righteousness away from you. Now, you're an adopted son or daughter and no one can snatch you out of his hand. Right now, your name might not be on a list of who's who in this world, but your name is in the Lamb's book of life and no one can blot it out or erase it. Nobody. Right now, Now, false charges could be brought against you in this world, but in the court of heaven, there is now no condemnation against you because the wrath of God has already been vanquished by Jesus who drank it dry on the cross. Now, now, that's what you have as a kingdom person. Right now, you might be rejected by the world, but you're accepted by the beloved. Right now, you might be weak and despised, But the resurrection power of Jesus is living in you now. These are things the world cannot take from you. And when all that gets a hold of you, you just, even as a Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever you are, you just might want to shuffle your feet a little bit. (laughs) Regardless of what you were taught growing up, you just might say, oh my goodness, I think I'm going to leap Because these are the things, your perspective changes about everything that's happening around you and everything that's happening to you. See, every day in this world, we have painful reminders of what we don't have, what we don't have, where we're excluded, what's wrong, what's broken, what's hard. And here's what some of you, the reason you don't leap as much as I think you should. I know personalities can differ, and you say, Brad, you're just kind of frothy anyway. I know. I was born in the wrong culture. All the Hispanics like Brah Pastor Brad, we love you. You come to my country. You like us. You like us. I know. I agree. But it's not just Pastor Brad. Listen to me, it's not personality. Here's what I think the problem is. Some of you aren't reading this enough. This is what reminds me every day what I have while the world makes painfully clear to me what I lack. But when you are constantly aware of, oh my goodness, robe of righteousness, oh my goodness, I'm shut out of some of the most important meetings in this world, but I have direct access to the God of the universe through Jesus, my high priest, day and night, who says, come boldly, you wanna leap. Little bit. Even in a sad, grace fellowship kind of way, but it's a start. You know? Nobody in this world can change who you are or where you're headed now. Nobody. Nobody. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why is he talking this way? Because we're tempted to lose heart, so he's got to remind us what we do to keep from losing heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet. The inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, he's going to help us understand what's going on to us. Three things you learn from this passage with Paul. For our, what kind of affliction? Light. Affliction. Which is but for a moment. Is working. And some of you have never caught this before, the light and the momentary part you've seen. I want you to see a third huge characteristic of what's happening to us. It's light, it's momentary, and it's working, New King James, for us. You're like, I feel like it's against me. I feel, God's word teaches the suffering and the affliction is working for you, it's actually part of what produces for you that great reward. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's almost like Paul runs out of words and cannot think of enough modifiers and superlatives to put on the front of that before he finally sticks the noun, glory. Here's what you need to understand. Not that you should go out and try to get persecuted But this can encourage you. Our suffering and persecution now is commensurate with our reward then. It's increasing your reward. The weight of glory. These two things are connected. So you can say, sure, persecute me some more. You're just adding to the weight of my reward and glory that is coming. All of this is working for us, for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But the way you can even keep this in place is that you have to do what he says next. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Now, you know we're not that church that advocates stick your head in the sand and pretend nothing's going on. But I'm telling you what, here's what it does mean. You don't sit in front of the television and drink in hours and hours and hours and hours of Fox News and CNN News and what's going on and how bad it is. I've said this before, but I would love some of you to try it. Shut it all off, TV, radio, blogs, and come back again three months later and see if you missed anything. How is it? It's bad. It was bad then, it's bad. Did it get worse? Got worse. My Bible tells me it's gonna get worse. I don't have to watch Fox News and see how bad it is. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are in despair. Some of you struggle to get up and go out there and live for Jesus because you got too much news and not enough Bible. Drink in hours of this and glance at the television so you're not an idiot and you don't know some country was blown off the map or have your spouse do it for you. Vicki's job is to tell me important things that I don't know, because I live here, and then she says, ooh, I thought you ought to know. I don't want you to seem stupid next week. This just happened. Thank you. If you have someone in your life that will serve that purpose, that's good too. But we got too many Christians that have this thing completely turned around. You are so immersed in all the details of how bad and broken and dark and scary it is And then you hardly ever read your Bible and you wonder why you're discouraged. It's working for us. But number three, he says, don't just settle in, but stand out in the darkness. Now, there's a temptation once you start to get hated, reviled, talked bad about, lied about, to just pull back and say, whew, you know what? I think I'm just going to hang with Christians. Of course, try that. Some of the same things happen right there. That's always surprising and hurtful. But anyway, the tendency is I just won't stand out, and maybe I won't take some heat. I just won't stand out. Verse thirteen fourteen. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know what he's really saying? You're the salt of the earth. That's why I left you here. If you don't want to be salty, you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing. He didn't leave you here to build big houses and pile up cars and chase after this stuff. He left you here to be salt. If you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, if you're light and He's shining through you, you're not gonna be able to hide. If you're really living for Jesus, it's like a city set on a hill. And what he's talking about is in that day it was very uncommon for a city to be built on a hill because that was very expensive and costly. Cities were built on the plateaus at the bottom of the hill near the river because you needed the water and you wanted river traffic. If someone took the time to build a city on a hill, oh my goodness, without all the electricity we have today, when those torches and lamps were lit, you could see it for miles. He says, that's what I intended for you to be not separate from everybody, but you're gonna stand out in the midst of darkness. You're light, you're a city set on a hill, you're salt. And here's what I think is interesting. The wording of the original language in the Greek in verse 13 and 14 has the pronoun you as emphatic. There's a way to word sentences that, that, that make it very emphatic. Here's what Jesus literally did. It could be translated you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. And if you're thinking, oh my goodness, surely he has another plan. The people that were sitting in front of him were no more courageous than you feel like you are. They were no more gifted than you are. Remember the band of people that were drawn to him? These were people that abandoned him, right? Denied him. If you feel weak, if you feel scared, that's the same kind of crowd he had in front of him when he looked at this ordinary group of disciples and said, you, and they're thinking, well, me plus I guess other stuff, and you alone. Oh, my word, oh, the soul of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. See, these radical, there's a reason this is all concluding this way. These radical beatitudes, the first seven, were meant to be lived in public, not private, public. He meant for this radical upside down kind of living to be dropped right in the midst of darkness and right in the midst of decay. Not private, not in isolation, but put on display. He never intended for us to huddle up as Christians and just so mercy and meekness and peacemaking and purity with each other. Never. It was supposed to be public in the midst of darkness, in the midst of decay. He wants these seven radical Beatitudes dropped down in the midst of darkness and decay as you go into that public high school, as you go into that public middle school, as you go into that secular university campus, as you go into the marketplace and job arena where, yes, they're using the F word, and yes, they're stealing, and yes, they're sleeping around. And as you live on a street that's filled with people who are not yet in the kingdom, we're supposed to be right there in the midst of it. You say, but Brad, I feel so awkward. Good. The day you don't feel awkward is not a good sign. Oh, I just feel so comfortable with these people. I hope not. But it doesn't mean the answer is pull back. I want to get a street and I want to buy a property where 15 Grace Fellowship people can build houses. I'm going to come blow that up. If I learn about that, if I hear about that, and if any of you builds a family life center for Christians to jazzercise and basketball together, I'm going to blow that up also. We're supposed to go where darkness is and go where. Here's what's interesting the fact that he calls us salt and light indicates the two biggest problems in our world decay and darkness. And he intended to use us to be a part of that solution. Salt and light in the midst of. Salt does no good if it stays in the salt shaker and hangs with other salt. Isn't it great being salt? I love being salt. Let's sing salt songs. Get up against what's rotting. Light does no good unless it's dropped down in the midst of darkness and begins to penetrate and expose the darkness. He doesn't want us to live a life of isolation and contemplation. There's a place for contemplation. I do it every morning. But then I get up and I leave my home and I go to LA Fitness and I get involved in my street and I get involved at Dixie High School and I contemplation happens at home. He intended for us to have a life of influence and impact. And that means you've got to get out there. The, monastic, the monastics missed it, my friends. When they began to pull out into the desert and form groups, and when they been hide up in the mountains and form groups, God never intended for us to go monastic or to be isolationist and just contemplate the great truths of Scripture. He calls us salt and salt and light that are part of the process of addressing the two biggest problems in our world, decay and darkness. There's another purpose for salt if you think about it. Yes, it prevents decay, but salt also adds flavor. Flavor, zest, taste. I hope you understand life without Christ is insipid and bland. Maybe you've been a Christian so long you forgot what it was like. Maybe God in his mercy saved you as a child and you've never known what it's like to live life thinking, I don't know why I'm here. Everything I do tastes like nothing. No matter how hard I go after it and how much I get of it and how much change there is and how much extreme entertainment I tap into and how much I abuse drugs or alcohol or money or materialism, no matter what I do after a while it starts to taste like nothing. Some of you know that. That's how these people are living. They're hostile to God. They cannot submit to his law. Indeed, they cannot. And life tastes like nothing. Christianity is what puts flavor back into life because we have a savior that gives real meaning and taste to everything we do. You think about it, as Christians, we do start to do some things that we weren't doing before. You'll you'll gather in a community group and pray with other believers. Maybe you listen to praise music now instead of just other kind of music. And I hope you come to a corporate worship service. But beyond that, folks, think about it. We still work jobs. We still listen to music. We still eat food. We still have friends. If you're married, you still have sex. But as a Christian... What happens is when you know and you're connected to the God of the universe, it puts taste and zest and flavor back into everything we're doing in a way that unbelievers know nothing of. Salt, salt. So what is the real problem? Our world keeps struggling with this. Our world spends kazillions of dollars on this. What is the real problem that keeps people so locked into darkness and decay, even though there have been so many scientific and educational advances. Here's what I love about the Bible so many reasons. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells us exactly what the problem is. In John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, he says, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Well, that explains a lot. See, if you would read your Bible, you would not have to stay as confused as so many people are about, what's wrong with our world? What's wrong with our world? What's wrong? Oh, we just need to educate sooner. Educate about sexual purity. Educate about kindness. Educate about not bullying. Educate about no prejudice. You will never educate mankind into righteousness and fair treatment of people. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. They want what they want and we are sinners by nature and we're willing to sin against God and we are willing to sin against other people in atrocious ways no matter how educated you are. Germany, not knocking you if you're German, but the Nazis, were they dumb, uneducated, like sticks through their nose out in some village somewhere and that's how they did? One of the most educated nations. Was that 400 years ago? No, that was not that long ago. And never mind Germany. The news constantly tells us of another group that seeks to cleanse or wipe out an entire people group. And sometimes these are modern cities. What's the problem? It's not an intellectual problem. It's not a money problem. It's a hard problem. And therefore the answer, here's what's such good news, is the gospel. is Jesus. You say, well, I'm not that smart. You don't need to be that smart. Jesus has left you here not to be super smart, but to be salt and light. Salt and light. Salt and light. In spite of all the knowledge that we've amassed over the last 200 years, since the beginning of the Enlightenment, halfway through the 18th century, fallen man by nature loves darkness. And so the horrors in our world will continue to happen. See, what this means is that even though people know, here's what's scary. Even though people know what is right, they prefer to do what is wrong and evil, even in the face of their own conscience that warns them so that they may regret it, but they still do it and then look for a drug to numb their consciences as they do it. That's the condition of people. Don't, look, I'm not pointing fingers and saying, oh, that's those horrible people. That's all of us apart from the grace of God. He has to rescue us. He has to rescue us from the darkness and this heart that wants to do what I want to do. But here's here's the good news. Our light doesn't just expose darkness. It shows a way out of darkness. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 about the believers in, in Philippi that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, oh, notice, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Again, we're not supposed to huddle up, pull out, isolate, build walls. You are children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Now I want you to get that also. Because we've got a. We're coming back around again. I'm not against doing good deeds. I'm not against trying to make a difference in our world, whether it's feed the hungry, dig a well, clean water, stop sex trafficking. I hope Christians will get involved in all of that and more. But I hope they never lose sight of the fact that's not our most important calling. In fact, unbelievers get jazzed about that, and there's plenty of them doing that. If you let go of truth... And you decide, I just want to help people, but you aren't willing to still say, you know what? God made us men and women and gender matters, and you speak the truth. You know what? Homosexuality is still a sin. It's just not an alternate lifestyle. You know what? Singles are not supposed to sleep together. I see Christians just going off the rails in a desire, and and they jump on on board with anti-sex trafficking. Guess what? The world will applaud you but if you keep holding to morals and you keep speaking the truth in every area, then they begin to attack you. Don't let go of truth as you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of truth because Jesus said in John 8, you shall drink clean water and it'll set you free. No, I don't think he did. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We have to be people who are salt and light still holding to truth. You don't shout it. You don't scream it. You're not a hater. But folks, if you, if you speak the truth but you never love people, you won't attract many people. But if you just love people to death and you never speak the truth, you'll attract them but you won't lead anyone to faith in Christ. It's both, speak the truth in love. And that leads right into my final point. There was a surprise early in the message about, oh my goodness, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. But there's a second surprise that I want you to see before we close. Number four, don't be surprised when despite the persecution, God still draws people to himself through you. You would think as people see you taking hits at work, see you being mocked, see you being hated, see you being lied about, that everyone would say, I don't want any of that. I want nothing to do with Christianity. That's not how it plays out, praise God. Believe it or not, some will be attracted. Some will still be attracted. So you need to put the beginning of this passage, verse 10, with the end of this passage, verse 16. See, the beginning says you're going to be persecuted, but the end says that some people seeing your good works will glorify your Father in heaven. Now, see, now that we've walked through the Beatitudes, you don't need to ever again think, what kind of good works? The good works are all the first seven Beatitudes. When they see meekness and mercy and purity and peacemaking, when they see this kind of radical lifestyle, when they see that, oh, Some are gonna glorify your Father in heaven. He's cutting to the chase. There's some steps in between there. What he means is seeing how you live will cause some to ask you why you live that way and you'll be able to talk to them about Jesus and connect them to their heavenly Father so that they can begin living in a way that they were designed to live which is to glorify God. And for the first time, taste comes back into their life with everything they're doing. And they are born again. And they begin to glorify God will use you to draw some people to Jesus Christ. Some are going to want to know. Especially when they see you leaping and having joy in the midst of hard circumstances. And they realize her joy and his joy is not attached to circumstances. What is this? What is this? I don't know what to do with this. Yes, so some are going to attack it. But some are going to come and say, tell me more. Tell me, what is this that you have? That's the same thing that Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 3 when he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, here comes the word from the Beatitudes, you are, say it, blessed. "Blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a, reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear not fear of them reverential fear of God with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed it's always been this way some will be attracted some will be repelled some will be disgusted some will be delighted in this glorious message of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have. And here's what I would say. You know you're in the sweet spot. You know you're in the zone, all right, with your life if you see both happening. If you see both happening. If you're truly living this out, there's gonna be some that are gonna come after you, but there's gonna be some that are attracted. That's the sweet spot. And God determines how much of each. We can't make it happen. But you just live it out and you watch. You'll see some of both. Some attracted and some react against it. See, your, your life really, if you think about it, it should either get a reaction or be an attraction because Jesus Christ was one of the most compelling and controversial figures who ever lived in history. And now we say we're following him Living this upside down value. Oh my goodness, if you start marching to the beat of Jesus, this radically different way to live, there's no way you're going to march to the beat of Jesus and not rattle some people around you. In fact, I would say it to you this way. If your life elicits nothing more than a yawn from other people around you, you're probably not living radically enough. Because you're not filled with Jesus enough. It should either be a reaction or attraction, not a yawn. What about your life? Do heads ever turn? I'm not asking you if you're perfect, but do heads ever turn because of your meekness and mercy and purity and peacemaking? not inside your house and with your Christian friends, but right out there in the marketplace, right on your street, right? Do heads ever turn and think, what is this? I don't know what to make of this. What do I do with this? It should. And I know this has been a hard message because none of us, it's not fun thinking about being persecuted. But as we close, I wanna put it in perspective because there's things that'll happen to us that are the same thing that happened to Jesus, but oh my goodness, I want you to hear. There are things that Jesus has done for us that we will never, ever have to experience. In Matthew chapter 27, the account of the crucifixion, Matthew says this, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. Same word that Jesus used in Matthew 5. They're gonna revile you. They reviled him. Two sinners condemned to death had the gall to revile the perfect son of God. And it's gonna happen to you, and you're not even perfect. But oh my goodness, what Matthew says next is what Jesus endured for us that you'll never, ever experience. He says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Ila, Ila, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you, say it, forsaken me? You will be reviled by men and women, but Jesus was reviled by people and forsaken by God and plunged into utter outer darkness to pay the price for our sin and to purchase a people for himself and to call you into the light and to make you his child forever. You'll never be forsaken. You'll never taste ultimate outer dark. Dark broken world today? Yep. Ultimate darkness. Ultimate abandonment. Never. Oh God, thank you for your word. And thank you for our savior. Thank you for not telling us just what we need to do, but sending your son to die for us and rise again so that we would be empowered to do what you've called us to do. Oh God, thank you for your spirit. Yes, there's darkness. Yes, there's decay. But your spirit is on the move throughout this world and you are in us. And you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. Oh, God, may we leap for joy even in the midst of being reviled and hated and lied about and excluded. May we shine as lights in a dark world holding fast the word of truth. Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.